Chapter thirty eight, part two of the Emancipation of South America by Bartolome Mitre, translated by William Pilling. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Piotr Natter. The Reconquest of Venezuela, eighteen thirteen, part two. Bolivar entered Caracas in triumph on the sixth of August. The bells rang, the cannon roared, and the people shouted in applause of their liberator. His path was strewed with flowers, blessings were showered upon his head. Beautiful girls belonging to the principal families of the city, dressed in white and wearing the national colors, led his horse by the bridle and crowned him with laurels. The prison doors were opened, and the captive patriots set free, and he did not sully his triumph by one act of vengeance, in spite of his terrible decree of extermination, which had been ruthlessly carried out on every field of battle. Two days later, he announced the re-establishment of the Republic, but he did not restore the federal system, to which he was opposed on principle, and which was not consistent with the public safety. He proclaimed himself dictator with the title of, quote, liberator, end quote, and in this he showed both foresight and patriotism. The restoration of the old system would have certainly entailed anarchy and defeat. There were thus two dictators in Venezuela, Mariño in the east, Bolivar in the west. Mariño sent commissioners to Bolivar to treat concerning the form of government which should be adopted. Bolivar hesitated. He saw the necessity of establishing a firm central authority, and meanwhile Mariño, who had by this time a powerful army, did nothing against the common enemy. On the 25th of August, Bolivar laid siege to Puerto Cabello. His Granadian troops stormed the outer defences and drove the garrison into the castle. Then batteries were erected on the coast, which beat off three Spanish brigs of war, whose fire had raked the lines of the besiegers. On the night of the 31st, an assault was made, but the only result of it was that Zuazola, who commanded an outwork, was made prisoner. Bolivar offered to exchange him for one of his own officers who had been captured. Monteverde refused, whereupon Zuazola was hanged on a gallows in front of the walls. The royalists were defeated, but they were not conquered. They soon recovered from their stupor, and reports of reactionary movements came from all sides. Then, on the 6th of September, the dictator fulminated another decree, his last thunderbolt in this war to the death, which produced one of the most dreadful hecatombs of which history bears record. He declared that all Americans who should even be suspected of being royalists were traitors to their country. This extreme and ill-advised measure greatly contributed to the defeat of Bolivar in the campaign now commencing. Such is the logic of destiny. On the 16th of September, the frigate Venganza arrived at Puerto Cabello from Spain, accompanied by an armed schooner and six transports, with the Granada Regiment, 1,200 strong, under command of Colonel Salomon. Bolivar raised the siege and retired to Valencia. Monteverde, encouraged by the retreat of the patriots and by the reinforcements he had received, took the field on the 26th of September with 1,600 men, but he had no fixed plan and committed the grave mistake of dividing his forces. He himself took up a position on the road to Valencia at a place called Las Trincheras and detached 500 men by another road to the heights of Barbula. Bolivar remained quiet for four days, unable to divine his intentions, and then sent Girardot and Deluyar with the Granadian troops against the enemy at Barbula, while a column under Urdaneta went in support. 
On the 30th of September the Royalists were driven from this strong position, but Girardot fell, shot through the head in the moment of victory. His troops, in revenge, asked permission to attack the main body at Las Trincheras by themselves. Bolivar acceded to their request, but supported them with 1,000 of his own troops. Monteverde was driven out of the entrenchments he had thrown up, with heavy loss, on the 3rd of October. He himself, being wounded, returned to Puerto Cabello, leaving Salomon in command till he should recover, and the patriots under the Luyar again laid siege to the fortress. Bolivar, eager for fresh ovations, decreed sumptuous funeral honours to the memory of Girardot, to whose valour both New Granada and Venezuela owed their greatest victories. The citizens wore mourning for a month. His heart was taken out and carried to Caracas to be deposited in the cathedral. His body was sent to Antioquia, his native province, and his pay was secured to his posterity. Bolivar himself accompanied the funeral procession to Caracas. On the 14th of October, the day of the obsequies, twenty of the civic functionaries of the capital assembled and decreed that Bolivar should be appointed captain-general of the armies of Venezuela, with the title of liberator, which he had already bestowed upon himself, and the inscription, quote, Bolivar, liberator of Venezuela, end quote, should be inscribed over the gateways of all the public offices. Posterity has confirmed this title to him, but its acceptance at that time, when the reaction was gaining ground every day, was a symptom of inordinate personal vanity. In return for this compliment, Bolivar instituted the military order of the liberators, a star with seven rays, symbolical of the seven provinces of the Republic, given as a decoration to those who should merit it by deeds of arms, and which carried with it certain privileges. This order was more democratic than those instituted by O'Higgins and San Martin in Chile and Peru, as it was for lifetime only, and was less aristocratic than the order of Cincinnatus, created by Washington. The time which Bolivar wasted in theatrical displays, the royalists made good use of for their own purposes. Boves was a Spaniard by birth, whose real name was Rodriguez. In his youth he was condemned to eight years' penal servitude at Puerto Cabello for piracy, but was released chiefly through the intervention of a man whose name he then adopted in gratitude. He joined the revolution when it first broke out, but being looked upon as disaffected, he was thrown into prison at Calabozo, till that town was retaken by Antonianzas, when he joined the royalists and took part in the butchery at San Juan de los Morros. Morales, his companion and second-in-command, had served as a volunteer with the royalists at Barcelona, and was made a sub-lieutenant of artillery by Monteverde. These two men were both endowed with the warlike instinct, were both distinguished by indefatigable activity and by an iron will. They were just the sort of men to act as leaders of semi-barbarous troops. But Boves, with all his ignorance and brutality, had something of a moral elevation about him. He fought for a cause, not for rapine. Morales took an actual pleasure in cruel deeds, and was of insatiable rapacity. These two men were the first to discover the latent strength of the people, which the revolution later on assimilated to itself. Up to this time the revolutionary movement had been confined to the cities and towns, Bolivar, with all his perspicacy, never suspected that the main strength of the country lay on the plains around them. When these two men were left on the north bank of the Orinoco by Cajigal, they adopted Bolivar's plan of rousing the country by proclamations. 
they called the llaneros to arms offering them bloodshed and booty in the cause of the king with pain of death to all who disregarded the summons each man presented himself on horseback with a lance in each district a squadron was formed which took its name boves taught them the secret of victory which was to have no fear of death to go straight on and never look behind in a very short time they had two thousand five hundred men embodied an army of horsemen such as had never yet been seen in america colonel jose Añez, a canadian was a man of the same stamp as boves and morales but of greater military skill after the dispersion of the column by tiscar he had retreated to san fernando on the apure river and with some help from guayana had there organized an infantry corps of five hundred men which he named the numancia battalion he also raised two regiments of llanero cavalry each five hundred strong with this force he invaded barinas in september before the waters had retired from the plains Boves opened his campaign by surprising a column of one thousand men which had been sent against him near calabozo on the twentieth of september the cavalry passed over to him the infantry he routed he murdered all the prisoners and then took and sacked the small town of cura now there appeared upon the scene another singular character of the iron temperament of Boves, with all his ferocity and courage who raised a barrier to his impetuous onslaught nothing was known of him except that he was a spaniard who had come to america very young and had married an american wife when bolivar opened his campaign of emancipation this man had headed the rising at merida then leaving wife and children he raised a battalion and devoted himself body and soul to the cause of independence throughout the campaign he distinguished himself by his indomitable valor and by his cruelty to prisoners to whom he gave no quarter the cause of his hatred to his fellow countrymen is unknown he was accustomed to say quote, when the spaniards are all killed then i will cut my own throat so that there shall not be one left the name of this man was vicente campo elias at las trincheras he was raised to the rank of lieutenant colonel for conspicuous bravery this was the man to send against boves he marched from valencia with one thousand infantry and fifteen hundred cavalry boves with two thousand five hundred horse and morales with five hundred infantry waited for him at a place called mosquitero at the entrance to the plains on the fourteenth of october the armies met boves charged the left wing of the patriots with his usual impetuosity and carried all before him but Campo Elias, caring nothing for this, rushed upon the main body of the royalists and routed them completely in fifteen minutes. Morales escaped badly wounded, but nearly the whole of his infantry were butchered, and the Llanero horse were cut to pieces. Boves and Morales fled with twenty men beyond the Apure, and the state of the plains rendered pursuit impossible. Campo Elias contented himself by retaking the town of Calabozo and killing every man in the place for having given assistance to Boves. Unarmed Venezuelans were butchered by Venezuelan troops at Calabozo in the name of liberty on the same day on which Bolivar was greeted in Caracas as the liberator. This cruel deed decided the Llaneros. Seeing that there was no mercy for them, they abandoned their homes and looked to Boves for their revenge the decree of extermination began to bear fruit ceballos who commanded at coro 
on hearing that reinforcements had reached Puerto Cabello, drew up a plan for the concerted action on the scattered bands of royalists. With such men as he could collect, he sallied forth, and after routing two detachments of patriots, took Barquisimiento, where he was attacked by Bolivar and Urdaneta. Bolivar captured the town with a handful of horse, but his main body was totally routed by the Spanish infantry led by Ceballos, who, after his victory, crossed the Cordillera and, at Araure, in the valley of Caracas, effected a junction with the column under Yanez. Salomon, instead of joining him, marched with one thousand men to the heights of Vijima, to the west of the city of Caracas, and there entrenched himself. Bolivar was then at Valencia with the Grenadian contingent. He collected what other troops he could. Rivas brought up the garrison of Caracas with a battalion of five hundred students from the university. After two days' fighting, Salomon was on the 25th of October driven back to Puerto Cabello with the loss of four guns. Bolivar then turned his attention to Ceballos, and by drawing fifteen hundred men from the force under Campo Elias, he had, by the 1st of December, collected a force of three thousand men. Ceballos had three thousand five hundred men and ten guns posted in a strong position on the slopes of the mountains at the town of Araure. Here Bolivar attacked him on the 4th of December. One Patriot battalion advancing incautiously was cut to pieces, but Bolivar, nothing daunted, brought up the rest of his troops and ordered a charge with the bayonet, which was his favorite maneuver. He was no tactician. He hurled his men in masses upon the enemy and trusted to their valor. Yanez attempted to take the attacking column on the flank with his cavalry, but was himself taken in flank by the Patriot cavalry and utterly routed. Ceballos, after a stubborn resistance, was completely defeated, losing 500 killed, 400 prisoners, and all his guns. He fled to Guayana, 800 of his infantry escaped in the same direction, and Yanez fled to the Apure with 200 men. This was the first pitched battle won by Bolivar. After the rout of Barquisimiento, Bolivar had formed the fugitives into a battalion, which, in punishment of their cowardice, he called the Nameless Battalion, telling them that they should have no flag till they did something to merit one. This corps greatly distinguished itself at the Battle of Araure. Bolivar now presented it with the flag of the Numantia Battalion, which had been captured in the fight, and renamed it the Victor of Araure. Salomon had again taken the field with 1,300 men, but on hearing of the defeat of Araure, he again retired to Coro, harassed on his way by detached parties of the patriots, and losing two guns and more than half his men. Bolivar then marched to assist de Luyar in the siege of Puerto Cabello. The moment was propitious. The Spanish ships of war had left for the Havana, and Piar, with the flotilla from Cumana, had established a blockade cutting off the garrison from all supplies. Monteverde had been dismissed in disgrace from his command. Ceballos, who had been appointed to succeed him, was a fugitive in Guayana, where also was Cajijal, who had been appointed by the home government captain-general of Venezuela, and had as yet done nothing. Still, the garrison, which was only 600 strong, held out. Meantime, the dual dictatorship brought forth its natural fruit. The victories of the West were sterile without the concurrence of the army of the East. Mariño refused to combine operations with Bolivar until he was recognized as the supreme ruler of the territory he possessed. 
The Liberator modestly entreated him to march upon the plains, where Boves and Yañez were recruiting. Far from doing this, though such action was necessary to his own security, he even recalled his flotilla from Puerto Cabello, but Piar listened to the appeals of Bolivar and continued the blockade. The result was that Bolivar, being unable to attend to the siege of Puerto Cabello and to the war upon the plains at the same time, Boves and Yañez were speedily in a position to assume the offensive. Boves more especially, with that wonderful energy which hesitated at no means, however terrible they might be, to the end before him, again took the field, two months after his defeat by Campo Elias. On the 1st of November he summoned all able-bodied men to join him, proclaimed war to the knife against the patriots, decreed that their goods should be distributed among his troops, liberated all slaves who would enlist under the banners of the king. The Llaneros, irritated by the massacre of Calabozo, and eager for plunder, flocked in masses to his standard. From Guayana came one hundred infantry and one gun. By the middle of December he had three thousand cavalry, the blades of whose lances were forged from the spikes torn from the railings of windows. With this horde he descended to the lower plains. On the 14th of December he routed a division of 1,000 men at San Marcos and occupied Calabozo, slaughtering without mercy and enriching his troops with booty. He then overran the whole plain, lying between the windward coast range and the Gulf of Paria. For further operations he needed infantry and set to work to make some. At the same time Yanyev, with some help from Guayana, organized a force of 2,000 men on the Apure and captured the city of Barinas, while Cajijal and Ceballos raised another army on the leeward coast. Bolivar was reduced to Caracas and the neighboring valleys, with a feeble reserve in Valencia, and was constantly harassed by royalist guerrillas. Urdaneta, who had marched on Coro, was forced to return to his assistance. Marino, with 3,500 men, distributed along the coast of Barcelona and Cumaná, and in the adjacent valleys, did nothing. All the rest of Venezuela was occupied by royalists. The country people were everywhere in favor of the reaction, and the patriots were forced to seek refuge in the cities. The patriot armies were entirely without guides. No one would give them any information. Dispatches to the various commanders could only be forwarded from headquarters under strong escort. At times, only four men out of an escort reached their destination. Public opinion had returned to the state in which it was left by the earthquake of 1812. Colombian historians attribute this revulsion of feeling to Bolivar's decree of extermination and to the excesses authorized by him. Bolivar was to fall as Miranda had fallen before him, but from different causes. Ever the logic of destiny. End of part two of chapter thirty eight.